Welcome back to another episode on the Built to Perform podcast. I am truly, truly excited for this one today. This is with a very, very good friend of mine and very business career-driven man, Mr. Oliver Worth. I need to ask you straight away, for the amount of time that I've known you, and obviously that's going to come up in here as well, do you like to be called Ollie or Oliver? <laughs> it's a great question, mate. Um, I guess it depends. If it's my mother shouting Oliver, there's obviously something wrong. Um, but yeah, I prefer Ollie, to be fair. Ollie, all. Um, like on the spot straight away, just, just putting yeah, you straight in. I, I, I think the, the boys in college would call me OW. Um, so yeah, let, let, let's go. Let, I mean, let's go, Oliver. Let's keep it formal, mate. Let's keep oh, it yeah. formal. Okay, happy days. Anyway, as I say, <laughs> I've known you for a very, very long time now, and I'm fortunate to have you on here for today, mate, because I know you're in a very, very extremely busy man. But I'm going to throw you straight in, buddy, just with a little introduction who you are and what do you do? Yep, top man, top. Uh, first of all, mate, thank you for having me on. Um, I'll be honest, your, your enthusiasm in this space is, uh, is definitely unique. We've talked about this before, mate. It's very saturated. There's a lot of people doing the same thing. Um, but I am definitely, uh, definitely a fan of how you're, you know, pioneering things in the game. So thanks for having me on, mate. Um, yeah, very brief introduction. Uh, so currently residing in Singapore. Um, I'm actually... I don't know what it is, mate, with the time zone now, half past eight at night over here. So I think um, I'm eight hours ahead of you in pole position. Um, the title they've currently given me is Managing Director. So I guess that means uh, some sort of a big deal. Um, I actually work in oil and gas. I'm not going to bore you, mate, with the, uh, with the finite details. Uh, but essentially, we are a middle party between buyer and seller. So in layman's terms, BP is selling 150,000 barrels of gasoline to Exxon. We're the guys in the middle that will test the cargo and make sure it's on specification. And then we'll also be the third party that basically gives the volume that is traded between both parties. I mean, fundamentally, the business was built on, you know, trading parties not trusting each other. Um, it goes a lot more in detail than that, mate. That's the uh, that's the very basic overview. Uh, currently, go ahead, mate. Sorry. No, I was just going to comment, mate. <laughs> you know me. Only a small role, then. <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah, listen. That's uh, that's the way I am, mate. I'm still embarrassed every time I give my business card over because, you know, as you know, one of the boys from Sheffield. I mean, people like myself are not supposed to be in these positions. So, pinch myself every day, but. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's a big role, mate. We've got about 190 uh, that report in. Obviously, not directly. We've got line managers. Um, about 190 of which 160 in Singapore, and then we've got about 30. I mean, it changes obviously all the time, but 30 plus in uh, in Malaysia as well. So yeah, that's uh, that's where I am right now, mate. That's what I'm doing. That's it, mate. Amazing. Thank you for the. Uh... That introduction, mate, that's, that's safe to say it's, it's of calibre, so top class. I think just so people obviously listening or potentially even watching this back, um, we cross paths. Uh, obviously, we're going to rewind this a little bit now. We cross paths from my career in the UK, and you're the same. I was a, a failed goalkeeper, went to the US. I had to do community college for two years um, because I actually failed GCSEs as well. <laughs> So I just started in community and then we crossed paths on my third year, but you're effectively first year um, of university uh, or scholarship within the US. Um, so obviously we, we've both got a, a story to share very similar. So I'll let you obviously take the reins on it. But how did it obviously evolve and start for you taking the scholarship on? What was your sort of transition to actually start in, in America in the US? Yep. I mean, similar to you, mate. Um I was one of the one of the masses in in England that had that let's call it fantasy dream of becoming a professional footballer. Um, I think every dad in in England tells his son that you know he's going to be the next Cristiano Ronaldo or, or whoever the buzzword is at that time, the buzz player. Um, 
yeah, I was also a fail. So central midfielder. I think I was that bad that I got relegated to like one of them defensive midfielders, you know, which basically says you're not doing what you need to do in midfield. So instead of being a centre half, you know, we'll stick you in between the two and we'll, you know, we'll call it some sort of uh, some sort of tactical strategy. But yeah, failed footballer, Sheffield Wednesday till 15, 16. Um, you know, had early success in, you know, the very youth of the career, signed a five-year contract at the age of 10, tipped to be the next captain of Sheffield Wednesday, all that jazz. You know, we've all heard the story. Um, left Sheffield Wednesday at, at 15 or 16, Tom, I don't recall the, uh, the exact age. Uh, did the rounds at the other clubs, you know, Sheffield United, Rotherham, Barnsley, uh, nothing ever stuck. Um, and then basically went into the world of, uh, of drinking beer and, you know, living for the weekend and, uh, and working for my old man at, his, uh, at, at, at one of his garages in, uh, in Sheffield. Um, and I did that for a few years, mate. You know, I'd live for the weekend. I'd be out Friday night. I'd play Saturday mornings. Uh, I'd be out all day Saturday night or all day Saturday afternoon, all, all night Saturday night, up Sunday morning, play football again. Back in the boozer all day, gambling, uh, trying my best to chat up women and, you know, whatever else I was doing. Um, and then I'd be back at work, you know, just working for my old man. I mean, that's nothing against what my old man did. Um, but I, I recall a conversation that we had and, you know, he basically said, look, you're better than this. Um, you know, I've done this all my career. Uh, and, you know, he came from nothing. He had his, you know, he had his challenges growing up. Um, and he's had a very good career in, in what he's done. But as you do for your kids, you know, you always want the best for them. Um, so an opportunity, uh, opportunity came up from an old coach at Sheffield Wednesday, probably a, a similar story to yours, Tom. Uh, put me in contact with like a broker. I guess they're a broker. I think it was First Point USA. Yeah. Um, you go to a few showcases, you know, you're playing the games. Uh, the videos streamed all over all over the US and then, you know, the coaches over there see what you're about and they pick you. So I got a couple of offers. Uh, I think one was in Canada, one was in Florida. Um, and then obviously the one in, in North Carolina was the uh, was the one I went with because I, I think the scholarship money was, you know, the best out of the three. Um and then it was, uh, you know, it came around really quick. I'm sure you, I'm sure you recall it, mate. Um, one of them deals where you pack your suitcases, get to Manchester Airport. I'll never forget it. It was Terminal Two, August eighth, two thousand and nine. Yeah. Uh, uh, Mum, dad, grandma, sister, they all came to the airport. It was funny at the time. My old man wouldn't leave the car, and he sat in the car, which I thought was very weird. I didn't know. Um, and I, yeah. Well, I, I never knew, and it. it Came out later, which I'll come on to. Right. Uh, but yeah, jumped jumped on the escalators, checked the bag, jumped on the escalators. Uh, Mum and Gran and sister are obviously at the bottom, crying their eyes out. And again, I'll never forget this. I I got to the top. My intention or my initial intention was to turn around and give the cheeky wave. You know, see you later. Oh, yeah. Um, I lost it. I, I I I was I was just streaming in tears because I'm thinking, what the hell am I doing? But where, first of all, where am I going? I mean, you know how it is. You get on a plane literally to nowhere. And I think the attraction at the time, I was, I was late. I was, I was older than you. Yeah. Uh, I was 21 at the time. But, you know, we've all watched American Pie. You know, we've all seen the videos. Um, there's a little bit of a stigma out there that, you know, the Americans like the English accent. And for me at the time, Jack the Lad, I could play football. I could go out drinking and I could pull a few American girls. Um, so that that was the attraction, I'll be honest. But when you get at the top of that escalators and your bags are checked, um, all of a sudden it hits you like a ton of bricks. And I got on the runway. Um, I think I think it was Forever Young. I think Jay-Z did a cover or it might have been an earlier cover. Yeah. And again, I mean, these things just stick with you. And I'm going down the runway, whatever, three, four hundred miles an hour, just looking out of the window, just again, just bawling my eyes out because you, you have no idea where you're going. I mean, you know, you've got an idea you're going to the US, but you don't realize until you land and obviously live there how vast it is. Um, and yeah, that was it, mate. Landed there. Um, I remember the first night, 
my dorm room wasn't ready. Um, I I didn't get my bag when I landed yeah. because I, I, I didn't know that you had to pick up the bag during a connection flight and recheck it. So I landed with no suitcase, got to the university. My dorm room wasn't ready. So I was staying with one of the lads. Don't forget, we used to go over there early because it was pre-season. Yeah. Um, and I was sleeping on the floor in a sleeping bag. And at the time, I had the, uh, the BlackBerry phone. You know, that's how we used to communicate back then in 2009. Yeah. And, uh, you know, mum was texting, how is it? And I'm, I'm texting back, oh, it's fantastic. Facilities are unbelievable. And I'm sat there on like a concrete floor thinking, what am I doing with my life? But obviously, you don't let them in because, you know, you don't want them to worry. Um, so, yeah, to, to answer your question, mate, in a very convoluted way, that's how I found myself in the U.S. Yeah, mate, I think uh, the more that we talk about it because of the similar paths, there's a lot of a lot of stories that, that come to mind, especially I think there was that first <laughs> that first dinner that we all had as a team. I think because you just still didn't have your bag, you were sat in your fluorescent yellow Sheffield Wednesday top. I swear. That was it. I can't remember. <laughs> I've got, it. just got that picture in my head. Um, well, it was the it was the Sheffield Wednesday filler. It was, I think it was an away shirt at the time, and then it was them Vibrams. Remember the remember the Vibrams yeah, the, when they came out? Yeah. <laughs> unbelievable. Yeah, well, my, unbelievable. I was the same with the, the the luggage. They actually because I transferred from another uni, they they got or college. They. Uh, uh, it was, everything was the same, but they put me in a room because I was a transfer student within the transfer lot. So I was actually away from everybody else. If you remember, I was like isolated on my own and I was actually with oh, the that's American, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was with yeah, the American yeah. football team to start with. So the same, it hit me on the plane. Like when it says, oh, you've reached your cruising altitude, you just realise actually, hang on, this isn't a holiday. I'm actually leaving the country for a good three or four months. It's not as if I'm pop into uni down the road, I can just come yeah. home, it's, yeah. it's whatever. Um, so right. I think if, if we lean into that a little bit more, there's, there's probably a big transition from Jack the Lad, Oliver Worth, Sheffield, going out on the piss all the time to then ultimately going to, to Hickory, North Carolina. Bit of a bit of a transition, oh, right? Literally night and day. And it hit, like you said, it hits you like a ton of bricks. Because you, you, you quickly learn that you are not Jack the Lad anymore. You're not Jack the Lad. You know, you're out of your comfort zone. You don't really have that support function. You've got the lads there. Um, but all of a sudden, you're on your own. Different world, mate. No no longer Jack the Lad. We learned that pretty quick. We learned that pretty quick. I think we're, we're talking stages, mate, with the storyline. But I think that, for, for me, and I know it will be for you as well, that was the, the pivotal thing to actually lean into... Um, a little bit of challenge, a little bit of growth, a little bit of being able to stand on your own two feet, a little bit of exploring, and a little bit actually of who you are because of that ultimately level of isolation, right? Where we were in North Carolina was very isolated. It was about an hour and a half drive to the nearest town, whereas in Sheffield, you could just walk down the road. Same in Birmingham, if you just yeah. walk down the road, you're in a shop or a, a, a centre or somewhere. So uh, that was that was big for me, and I know it was for you. So... Um, with that, obviously, transition with, with football, you, you played, sort of got to the end. Uh, what happened at the, the sort of transition of the end of sort of university, if you like, to then sort of that jump to professional career? What did, what did that look like for you? Yeah, so I was, I was very fortunate where I'd actually done, I don't recall exactly what it was, mate. It may have been some A-levels or I may have done a couple of college, uh, college courses in the, in the UK. So I was in a position where I could transfer credits. Um, so after a, let's call it torrid or disastrous first semester, if you recall, when I, uh, when I flew home and missed all my exams because I said I wasn't coming back. Um, yeah. After my torrid, disastrous first semester, uh, just to be clear on that, I flew home a week earlier than, uh, than I should have. Missed all my exams because, you know, I... I hated it, let's say at the time, that much uh, that I said I wasn't coming back. Uh, and my old man put me back on the plane on January 5th or 6th, whenever it was, and said, I've paid for your flights for the first year. Get your ass back over there immediately. Um, and when I got back, the gaffer at the time, uh, good old Tom got, he pulled me in the office and basically said, uh, you can't play in the spring. So what are you talking about? GPA is 0.8. I mean... Uh, <laughs> 
again, essentially that means you've failed every single course you took in the fall. Um, Mine and I tried. He said, yeah, exactly. He said, uh, he said you need to make straight A's in the in the spring just to qualify to play in the fall. And in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, well, I won't be here in the fall, so it doesn't really matter. Yeah. Um, but anyway, complete switching mindset. You know, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and tell you what it was, Tom, because I haven't got a clue. Um, but back to where I was going, I was able to transfer credits from the UK. I was able to finish my undergrad. Uh, international business was the course uh, in three years. Um, and then I had one more year left of eligibility. Um, at the time, I think Tom had made me captain. Uh, Tom got the coach and made me captain. Uh, we'll and he pulled me in. And what, What's that, mate? We all make mistakes. It's fine. Yeah, yeah, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. Um, so he's, he's pulled me in and basically said, right, you've got one year left of eligibility. Do you want to do your master's? And I'm thinking, no chance. I want to go home. I'm ready to go back. Miss the lads, miss the family. Um, and again, it was my old man that basically said, do your master's. You never know where that will take you. Um, did the master's in a year, mate. Did summer school. Uh, and of course, with the master's then, what that leads to in the US, I, I, I believe it's still the case. Um, you get one year to work on what they call an OPT visa. Um, so graduated with the master's, had the eligibility, if you like, to, uh, to work in the US for a year. Uh, again, got on the phone back home. What do you think is the best option? Throwing some ideas back, come back home, work in the garage. Um, and my old man came up with an idea. He said, uh, there's a fella that I used to go in the pub with, someone that he knew uh, in Sheffield. He said, I think he works for BP. Why don't you contact him and uh, see if he's got any job opportunities? So searched his fella's name. He didn't work for BP. He worked for a company that I started with uh, back in 2013 in the same space that I'm in now, the testing inspection space. Uh, send him a random, random message on LinkedIn. Hello, this is Oliver from Sheffield. I think you know my old man. Have you got any opportunities? Whatever that meant. And... Um, I never heard nothing for about two weeks. And the clock was ticking because obviously you've got to make a decision. Am I going to go back home? Um, am I going to pursue this OPT? And then randomly one night, I was in uh, the Hickory Tavern, I think it was called, Tom. I think you remember that place. Yeah. Um, and I just, I, 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 get, I guess, I, well, I guess I just graduated. Fine establishment. Um, and I was, uh, I, I was a little worse for well, let's say. I definitely had a couple of steak bites and whatever else. Um, you know, a lot of them stories, which we won't go into the weeds in that on, uh, on this podcast. But this fella called me and I'm thinking, I haven't got a clue who this is. So I don't even know what I said to him. Anyway, the day after, I've realised that I spoke to a bloke for two minutes with a Houston number um, that I didn't even know what I'd said. So I called him back. Anyway, it was this fella from Sheffield. And he said to me, uh, yeah, you've got one year work visa. Uh, you've graduated in your master's, you've got an accounting degree, all this good stuff. Uh, he said, I've got an opportunity for you down in New Orleans, um, but you're not going to use your degree. And I'm thinking, what is he talking about? I'm not going to use my degree. You know, I've got a master's, you know, again, Jack the lad now, I've got the master's, I've got that wonderful piece of paper. Yeah. Um, and what he said, and, and this was the best thing that ever happened to me in my career. I mean, very thankful for this guy. Um, he said, I'm going to send you out on the front line of our business. Again, I'm not going to bore you with the details, but I'm going to send you out on the front line and you're going to work a blue collar entry level job. So, you know, for perspective, with all due respect to people, you know, 16 years old, I think it's 18 in the US. Anybody can walk in um, at the inspector level, at the lab uh, technician level. Um, you know, if you've got a bit about you, you've done your high school degree. Um, and, and, and essentially it's a blue collar job. So he, he put me in on the front line and I'm thinking, wait a minute, I've just done four years to get this wonderful piece of paper masters and this blow line, you know, climbing short. And I did it for two years. Um, after the one year I was able to extend the visa. Um, and after it, I, I remember saying to him, why, why have you got me out of here? And he said, this will be the best thing ever for your career because you're not going to come in at an office level, you know, with a degree where 
what he called at the time, you're going to be in a glass tower because you haven't got no idea of what's actually going off on the front line. I'm sure you've seen the programmes like Undercover Boss and all that good stuff. This is exactly what it was. So I learned the business, you know, from the ground up. Um, and from there, you know, I was able to, uh, to cultivate new relationships, uh, make some changes at the entry level, in the field, in the lab. Um, and I was recognized for it. So, you know, they promoted me um, to like a branch manager role. Um, and I was successful in that. And then from there, I was kind of the uh, kind of the fix it guy. So they would send me to, I mean, the company I was with at the time, they had over 60 locations in the US. Um, and what they would do is they would basically, they'd give me a, you know, a week's notice at the time I was single, they'd give me a week's notice and they'd say, right, you need to be on a plane next week and you need to be in Chicago. We've got a problem. Get in there and fix the office. Um, and to cut a long story short, I think I worked at nine locations in, in seven years. Um, but talk about valuable experience, mate. You know, when you go into locations where it's your role to fix it, let's say, and I'm, I'm talking financials here, right? You know the business world very well. You're only as good as your last month and it's all about that profit. Uh, but they'd send me to these locations where, you know, the numbers weren't matching up. The profit wasn't, you know, what the, what the shareholders wanted and it was my job to go in there and fix it. And the first time I did this, I was in, uh, I think it was Los Angeles, Long Beach. Um, and again, keep using the term Jack the Lad, but again, still at this age, I, I still had that in the veins. Um, and, you know, I've, I've rocked up, I've rolled in there, I've got a master's. Uh, you know, I can read a profit and loss statement. I know how to fix this. It's simple. And they ate me for breakfast, lunch, dinner, dessert, whatever you want to call it, mate, they ate me alive. Because as they always said in college, and I think you'll recall this, experience is king. That was always the phrase. And we always thought, what are they talking about? We've got these wonderful textbooks and we can learn how to do all these charts and these wonderful you know, equations and whatever else. But when I say I got eaten alive, I had people walk out. I was trying to make decisions that I had no right in making because I didn't understand the business. Um, it was an absolute nightmare, mate. But talk about learning lessons and, you know, evolving from what you learn. Yeah. Um, go ahead, mate. Go ahead. No, I, sure I think you've got, uh, some, uh, you've got some questions on that. No, absolutely, mate. I think there's, uh, you, you know, I'm like, I, I, I like to go extremely deep. I'm like a philosophical sort of guy. So with that yeah. transition, um, obviously going through the ranks and, and, and being the Mr. Fix-It guy, if you like, sounds to me from sort of day one to, to that sort of point or even beyond, uh, I'll leave it open to you, that there seems to be sort of identity in yourself that always wanted to pull you back home, wanted to pull you back towards safety, wanted to pull you back to family, to love, to connection. And there's always seems to me just on that story already that there's this ongoing battle of, trying to break away from that within yourself and actually find your feet on, on who you are, um, especially within the role that this guy's clearly put a lot of trust and faith in you, even to, to enter the, that sort of entry level, if you like. Um, yeah. So if we're looking at this from a, a sort of mental capacity, because it's easy to look at a story and go, oh, okay, well, you can clearly see the progression of this, 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 and this. What was it or what are some of the lessons in that sort of professional career um, in those sorts of stages, not necessarily the latter, because obviously there's an evolution with that. What are some sort of lessons or what was maybe one pivotal moment where it was actually letting go of that sort of jack the lad and actually stepping into these shoes of going, right, Ollie, we know your worth. You're this guy. Was there something, one thing in particular? Was there one lesson in there or was it just pretty much an evolutionary ongoing thing? Yeah, it's, uh, I mean... Great question, mate. It, it was kind of uh, it evolved as the process evolved. That sounds convoluted. But what I mean by that is, you know, case in point, Los Angeles, the first fix-it mission, if you like. Um, I thought I knew it all. Yeah. I mean, I was, at the time, I would have been, Tom, around 27. Um, and I'd gone into... You know, I, I, I've jumped into the deep end. I've gone in where there's been managers, 
where there's been, you know, senior operators that have worked there 20, 30, 40 plus years. And this lad comes in from England, you know, dresses okay, thinks he's the man and starts telling them what to do. Doesn't work. I mean, let me tell you now, they could have been the best ideas in the world. It wouldn't have mattered because I wasn't one of them. I wasn't part of their culture. I was an outsider coming in. They knew they were failing in business. So naturally, they're going to put up a brick wall. So I learned pretty quickly that when you go into locations like this to fix it, it not only takes a certain character, but there's a way to do it. And where I'm going with that is on the next mission, was it Chicago? Was it Houston? Wherever it was, Tom. I completely changed the strategy. So instead of going in, you know, bulling a China shop, all guns blazing, I'm going to fix this in two weeks. Uh-uh, I didn't do that. I went in there. The first three months, I called it, I think, the transition phase, where I would become a cultured, is the word to use, to the way these guys do business. Because whether you go to Texas, Los Angeles, Alaska, I was in, I was in Hawaii, uh, I was in Chicago. You know the US very well. They're their own countries, these states. The boys in the South are different to the boys on the West. The boys in Alaska are completely different to the boys in the Inlands. And I learned to become one of them while also being a fly on the wall and in a superior position. Um, and it was an amazing transition because once you build that trust, and for me, you build that trust by you know leading on the front line, and being one of them and doing what they do, um, all of a sudden when you start trying to make changes or you know reinvent the wheel or bring in technologies to optimize efficiencies, they immediately buy in because they know that you're one of them, you're there to help, you're there to transition the office, to take it to the next level. And you know, in essence, that's gonna help everybody in the office, but if I didn't fail in Los Angeles in the first, you know, Oliver Worth bull in a China shop, I know everything, then I would have never known how to evolve. I mean, there's no textbooks on this, right? Um, and it was, you know, looking back at the time, I would always think, what am I doing? You know, going to these locations, um, trying to fix things. The guys always turn against me because I'm an outsider. But there's always a way through. And, you know, you always find a way to make things work. Um, and I was so, at this age, Tom, you know, 30, I'll be 34 on Monday next week. But to have that experience, to learn internal politics, to learn how to navigate, to learn how to deal with people, to learn how people react. And I mean, I'm talking on the granular level of, you know, when I learned how to evolve in the process, I would have these silly titles like I have now, you know, managing director, area manager, uh, senior director, whatever they call me. The first thing I would do when I went into a location, I would go to what we call the retain building. That's basically where the boys or the ladies would dump samples, you know, blue collar entry level job. And I'd spend a week in retain and I could be in the heat in New Orleans, under degrees, you know, on a, on a beautiful August summer afternoon. And I dump samples for a week and they'd look at me thinking, this guy's absolutely bonkers. From there, I'd go in the field. I'd spend a week in the field with the guys in the field, get to know them. Um, then I'd go in the office. I'd, I'd sit down with the boys. I'd take the phones. I'd do dispatching. I mean, our business is 24-7. Um, and it was, just, it was phenomenal, the buy-in that you would then get because you've been in, you've sat in their shoes, you've realized the heartache or the challenges that they've got, and then they realize that you're there to help. And the transit, that, listen, we still had many challenges and there's always one or two that will never buy into what you do because they're in that comfort zone. They're in that circle. They don't want to step out, but you find ways to either weed them out or you find ways to move forward without them. Um, so it was a, it was a fantastic evolution, mate. But uh, to say that I planned it or that I knew what I was doing again, I'd be talking out of the left side of my mouth because, you know, I, I basically winged it and winged it through experiences that worked for me. Um, but yeah, it was a fantastic thing, mate. Fantastic yeah, no, thing. That's brilliant, mate. And I think just for clarity for, for people sort of on the replay or, or as I say, from watching this back, I think it's pretty, 
pretty obvious that you're the sort of Mr. Fix-It guy to, to sort of go into these places, these places of work, offices and all these sorts of things and, and start to disturb the peace, disturb the norm to try and create a bit more culture, to try and create a vision, a longer-term purpose for these guys obviously working together collectively as a unit. Um, and I think obviously for you getting involved, it showed that you, you – you know, you build that level of respect, like you said, and building that level of buy-in from people. <clears throat> what, um, with that, obviously, you, you've mentioned a big word there, which is something that we talk a lot about inside of Built to Perform and in its character and its courage, all right? So when we're looking at that in itself, yes, it, it takes character that builds through resilience, through going these sorts of things and, and doing these sorts of things. But as your role with, within what you're doing as as ultimately going into these places and just disturbing the peace. What are sort of from, again, a personal level, which if you're happy to share, the sort of, what are the, some of the things or, or key lessons or key takeaways of potentially the downsides to, to being known as that guy? You know, yes, there's a level of responsibility. It's your profession. But from that evolution, because you've mentioned you did it pretty much as a, as a single guy. So if you're commuting through the US, it's pretty easy to move about. It sounds all exciting. Remember, we're talking about the outside, what people probably hear. It's amazing you get to fly here and there and all those sorts of things. But the reality is there's always an, an inner conflict potentially at some point, or that may not even be the case. But my point being, what are some of the, the sort of downsides that you've you've had to sort of learn to grow with or learn to get yourself out of in order to maintain a sort of level of balance whilst you're being this guy in a professional role versus you being Oliver Worth? Yeah. Great question. Um, um, listen, I'm not going to beat around the bush on this one. It's, uh, it's a lonely, it's a lonely experience. Um, you know, I'll use the latest transition over to Singapore. Um, I left my previous employer in January 2020, right before COVID. Um, I had a pretty, pretty big non-compete. Um, so I had to get out of the US for a year. Um, and the opportunity arose where I would go to Singapore. Um, so again, where I was going with, you know, it's a lonely place. You you learn to live in, I think the word is solitude, Tom. Yeah. But you learn you learn to live on your own. Um, and you know, I'd I'd done this for eight years in the US, where I'd gone to, you know, multiple different locations. You're the outsider, you know full well you can hold town hall meetings, you can hold the, you know rah, 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 we're going to do this, we're going to do that. The minute you walk out of that room, the target on your back is astronomical. And they call you every single name under the sun because you're not one of them. You're the outsider that's coming to get people out of the comfort zone. We know that people aren't hardwired to be out of the comfort zone. So you have to learn to live in that. I'm calling it solitude. It's not really a jail cell, but you have to learn to, you know, to accept that it's going to be a lonely life. Um, but you do become thick-skinned. And again, I would be, I would be lying to you if I said it didn't bother me. It doesn't bother me. You know, they can say what they want. Again, we're human beings, right? We have emotions. We do care what people think, regardless of what we say. Um, you know, that's that is certainly something I'm working still on every single day. Um, but you know, the, the nucleus of our brain, if you like, is, uh, is built on emotions and it's a tough, lonely place, but you know, full well, and, and this is how I've been able to transition through it. First of all, you're doing it for your employer. You're doing it for the good of the business. And second of all, you're doing it for the good of the employees, because if you continue to run a failing business, you know, you'll have the wonderful things that we have in recession where there's layoffs, you know, people are losing the job, there's pay cuts. Um, so I don't really believe in goals, Tom, um, but you can see light at the end of the tunnel that you know you're doing this for a bigger reason, really something bigger than yourself that you're trying to accomplish for the good of the company and for good of the people. And you learn not, 
not not to care what they think, but you learn to drown out the noise, drown out the externalities, um, and you know find a way through. Uh, yeah. But it's not being easy, mate. It's not being easy. But I think now after you know it'll be it'll be a decade coming up to a decade where I've done this kind of thing. Um, you do learn, you know, you do learn to deal with it, um, and and still learn every single day, which uh, which, which you know I do. I do yeah, evolve with. Which is key, mate, because as I say, thank you for being extremely vulnerable, actually, Ollie. I think it's it's quite difficult to to talk about the the internal transition as much as anything, but I think for people obviously listening, that's where they're gonna sort of get either confirmation or just that reassurance really that, you know, it, that last mile is the loneliest mile because you mentioned they're yeah. working for something bigger than yourself. Um, and that's the, the pursuit we've obviously built to perform in a similar capacity. It's working for something bigger than my current self, which gives you a mission, which gives you a purpose, which gives you clarity. And I think the, the big transition now, and we'll obviously fast forward this a little bit now being a, a, a dad, that's, that's number one, but obviously yeah. going from, from a life of sort of solitude and having to build this thick skin um, and build these walls and protective things to now this transition. And this is early for you. I'm fully aware of that, but that transition from now to that, to now sort of fatherhood where all of a sudden you're now having to be a bit more open with you as an individual, as a person, that thick skin now that you use in the professional world has to come down when doors are closed and you're being present with family and it's enjoying the process and the fun and the fulfillment piece and all those sorts of things. Um, what's Is there some sort of golden nuggets we can take within that sort of transition? What's huh. the, I know you think because it's probably... Yeah, a, listen, this, this is... Uh, yeah, listen, you've hit the nail on the head. Um what was the uh, what was the quote or the famous saying that I heard when we had the little one? Uh, a father is more. What was it? A father is more than making a baby, and it, it really resonates with me. A uh, little bit of colour on the little one. Um, he was born during during COVID back in October 2020, uh, and at the time I'd already transitioned over to Singapore. Um, obviously, border restrictions, lockdowns, still being a UK citizen. I couldn't get back into the US. The missus was back in the US with the family. Obviously, she needed a support function during the pregnancy. Um, and the initial plan was that when he was born, uh, that I would fly back um, and obviously be present for the birth. Unfortunately, I couldn't get in for the birth. Um, so my little boy was basically born over, over FaceTime. Uh, I was sat in a hotel room in Singapore and the missus was in uh, the wonderful, colourful uh, Newport Beach, California. So, of course, she'll never let me live that one down, mate. Um, but, yeah, listen, I missed his birth. Um, fortunately, I managed to get back to the US for three weeks in December. So I met him when he was two months Um and I got to spend three weeks with him over Christmas. And then I had to come back to Singapore. And then I wasn't, um, I wasn't present again until the end of May. Um, so out of the first eight months of his life, um, I'd met him for three weeks. So, you know, again, soft stories don't pay rent. But, you know, back to the, back to the nucleus of how I've evolved and sacrificed and whatever else. This was a big one. Uh, but I knew... The best thing for me, for the family, for the crew. In May, I got back to mother, so I guess I was, I guess I was seven months late. Um, and yeah, listen again, I'm not going to sugarcoat it, mate. Um, most people will tell you, well, it's the best thing in the world, you know, being a father. And I'm, I'm not disputing that fact, but given my background of how I've been reasonably successful, how I've been able to build a career and being thick-skinned and everything that we've just talked about, um, I found it very, very difficult. Um, I realized that I'm probably one of the most selfish people in the world because everything was always me, 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 me. When you have a little boy or a little girl or you have your first child, all of a sudden you've got to make that transition to be selfless. Um, and I find it really hard, mate. Um, I find it hard to switch off from work. You know, we work, like I said, 24-7. 
There's no such thing as holidays, whether it's Thanksgiving, Christmas Day, Boxing Day. I mean, you know, the, the ships never stop sailing. Um, and yeah, I, I, I found it very hard. Uh, I'm still learning every single day. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's like trying to find an hour at the weekend or two hours at the weekend where I block out the time and I sit there and I watch Teletubbies or I sit there and watch, you know, ABC, one, two, three. And at the start, I'd be in my mind thinking, you're wasting time. You need to be reading. You need to be looking at the macro market. You need to be on plan B, you know, evolving. What if you lose your job tomorrow morning? What are you going to do? You need to be studying. And I found it very hard to, you know, be that dad or, or be there and be present um, because my mind is always going a million, you know, a million miles an hour um, because I was under the impression that I'm on borrowed time, you know, that I may lose my job tomorrow morning and I always need plan B and plan C and I need to read about my stocks and I need to know what's going off in the macro environment because if not, the world may end. Um, so I'm still learning, mate. I've, I've become a lot better now. Um, and obviously with your support, your assistance, I've learned the act of journaling and, you know, finding ways to basically set your calendar up. So now I block time off for him. Um, you know, when I sit there and watch the Teletubbies and talk about Tinky Winky and Dipsy and whatever else. And, you know, I leave my phone away. I put my phone in the bedroom. If the phone rings for work, I'll ring them back. The world's not going to end. But wow. this time in his this time in his life, mate. I mean, you'll get there one day, maybe. Yeah. You know, these are the days where I, if not, if I don't do this, and I keep this relentless pursuit, as I call it, of you know being the next CEO and being the next billionaire, I will one day look back and say I fully regret the first two or three years of this little boy's life when I wasn't present. I wasn't the dad that I had, by the way. As everyone says, best dad in the world. My dad was the best dad in the world. Um, I regret it. Um, so, yeah, listen, mate, very, very, very hard transition. But uh, I'm getting there slowly and, I'm, you know, I'm learning. I'm learning every single day. Yeah. And again, mate, you've, you've hit the nail on the head there with a sort of response, which I think all of us, as especially people who are interested in listening to this, a sort of high performance. Um, when you put yourself within that, you are career driven. You're always striving towards a never ending horizon. And when you get there, it's the next thing. And you mentioned with goals, yeah. like goal setting, set you up for sort of monumental things. And then it ultimately is like, well, what next? What next? What next? So <clears throat> there ultimately is a little bit of a sort of a scarcity mindset. We're almost running away from something to then push towards a horizon. But as you've just identified there, Ollie, I think. The, the big thing that I can sort of take from that is, is recognizing that, like you've just said, the ability to enjoy the process. And I mean, on this podcast, we have Darren Carter, number one, he spoke about playing up against Cristiano Ronaldo, all these sorts of high performing footballers, but he actually didn't enjoy the process because he was so driven in the game, driven in what he needed to do, being career focused and all these sorts of things. But when you have the ability, like you just said, and probably like you're just learning now, just sort of stand still, reflect, and actually look a little bit deeper on some of those things that are probably a little bit more important and finding a level of balance within that and protecting the downsides, protecting your non-negotiables to ensure that you are being present with family, you're being present with friends, and you're actually trying to learn ultimately how you can be a little bit more explorative, if you like, in, in sort of who you are in that identity. Um, and being able to enjoy it, I think, as you rightly yep. said, because your ability to thrive in chaos has got you to, to where you are. But what's going to get you to the next point, especially now with responsibility, and if you're even just looking at that word, responsibility, your ability to respond, um, yep. is going to be pivotal now in, in sort of fatherhood for you, which I think you're, you're going to tackle with two hands. And I think what you've built through the career so far to, to get you to this point is set you up with a good arsenal, right? So that's that's really now we're in a pretty pretty strong dominant position with these sorts of things. And again, I'm, I'm now trying to speak from the position of the reason someone would have clicked on this. And we're excuse me, we're potentially looking at you know 
high performance. We're looking at achievement. We're looking at success. We're looking at growth mindset. We're looking at all these sorts of things. Now, in a world full of social media, I think, which we'll obviously touch into now, you know, it's easily to compare your worst self to someone's best self. And you start to overvalue the things you don't have and then undervalue the things that you actually do have. And you touched on one thing there, mate, which is that journaling and gratitude thing that we've spoken about before to get crystal clear on how you can manage your emotions. You can't control them, but you can manage them. Um, and I think with the world of social media, the way that it is now, the fast pace of the world and being present and ultimately building um, a presence within that, has there been some sort of conflict or has there been anything that you can take from maybe the social media side of things that you think has been good, has been bad, has been, what's your sort of thoughts and opinions with that? Yeah, mate. Um, you're probably aware. I went off social media, I think it was mid-January, Tom. Um, I never, after college, I never had the Facebooks, the Twitters, the Whatever else is out there now, TikTok. I mean, there's the, the, there's obviously a an abundance of these uh, of these media outlets. But I had uh, I had Instagram, um, and I'd flirted with the idea of getting off it back in uh, back in 21. And what I used to do is I used to delete the app Monday to Friday, then Saturday to Sunday I get the app back. Um, and it, I guess it was a bit of self reflection, um, but. I was finding myself spending, you know, two, three hours, you know, when you would go through the, the screen time that would pop up and it gives you the breakdown in a, a nice little histogram. Yeah. I'd be spending four, four or five hours a week on Instagram. And I turned into, and again, this is, uh, this is obviously full disclosure because you've got me running on tangents now, mate. So, uh, so hear me out. Yeah. But I'd, I'd turned into... Uh, and by the way, um, I'm not saying I will never get Instagram back. Maybe I will one day. Um, and this is not, you know, calling anybody that does have Instagram. Everyone has Instagram for different reasons. I'm just, I'm just sharing, you know, from my perspective, from my point of view. Um, but I found myself, I turned into someone that was basically showing my highlight reel. And what I mean by that, I'm, I'm very fortunate. I mean, where we live in Singapore, you know, we literally live on the water. It's, it's absolutely stunning. Still don't know how we got here. Um, but, you know, I'd be posting, I'd be posting pictures of the, of the sea. And, you know, I was, I was fortunate enough to buy, you know, a, whatever, a nice pair of shoes or a, a nice piece of jewellery. And I'd be posting pictures and, uh, and you know, in, in some words, boasting, you know, look, look at me, I've met it. And after self-reflection, I, I stopped and I just thought, what are you doing? This is, you know, this is not you. All right, you enjoy a nice pair of shoes, you know, you enjoy um, a nice piece of jewellery. Uh, you're obviously in a position, you know, where you're discretionary spending, you can afford it, but why do you need to let the world know what you're doing? And it was for that instant gratification. It was for that, you know, pat on the back for others to basically think, oh, look at good old Oliver, he's made it. When the reality is, no one cares, right? And as you said there, it's it, it was a platform where I was comparing myself to others. And, you know, we're, we're comparing ourselves to models or athletes or, you know, the the multi-billion dollar fella on the yacht that's trading his cryptocurrencies and, you know, the world is blue skies and sunshine. And I, I think it was Tyson Fury that said it. I think it was Tyson Fury. He says, you never see anybody on Instagram posting themselves on the toilet. And you don't. All you see is that 1% yeah. where, you know, life is good. And let me tell you now, mate, life, life is not, it's, it's tough. Life is great, but life is tough. Yeah. Um, and I, I just made the conscious decision, uh, get it, you know, get rid of it. Um, you're not getting value out of it. You're wasting time. You could spend that time with a little boy. You could spend that time reading. You could spend that time educating yourself. Um, and it's been the best thing I did, Tom, for the last, uh, for the last two, two and a half, three months. I feel liberated. 
I'm free from, I guess it's social convention, you know, doing things that people think you should do just because it's the in thing to do on Instagram or going out and buying a nice pair of shoes or posting a picture of the Gucci shop. Who cares? Who cares? And again, look, this is not knocking anyone. This is what works for me. Um, but I've, I, I've been, I've been reinvented by pulling myself away from that social media platform. Yeah, and I think the, the the biggest thing that we can sort of take from that, mate, is protecting your environment and ultimately sort of controlling the controllables. I think uh, Viktor Frankl says it's best in sort of man's search for meaning. It's looking at your circle of influence and looking at your circle of concern. And I think your yeah. circle of influence, which contains your thoughts, your attitudes, your beliefs, the more time you spend within that, the more that grows and develops and you get more control and emotional control on who, what, and where you are as an individual and where you're going to go. And I think a lot of people fall into the trap of effectively the social mirror, the social comparison, the, right, what's next? You, you need to get these things. These And look, it's good having materialistic goals. I think it's 100% necessary. But if it's used in a way to promote and show a little bit more of the ego side versus the actual yep. true side, it can create a little bit of a downfall so the biggest thing that we can sort of take from that just from obviously your experience is actually protecting your environment not putting your head into those sorts of things and, and associating your your sort of worth or your net worth with a, a picture of somebody else's life or whatever somebody else is doing because as you say it's yeah you'll know it's it's the the sort of cream of the crop it's it's what it's what's at the top but not necessarily what's going underneath like the iceberg analogy you only see the tip but actually yeah. underneath it's uh it, it's a lot different so as i say there's been a, an evolutionary thing for you by the sounds of it in that terms of that transition of of allowing your skin to go from thick to a little bit thinner and just allowing yeah. people in especially as taking on the role of dad uh taking on the role of obviously building a family building security obviously getting grounded and and now that evolutionary process of 34 and beyond so i think we'll just we'll we'll hit it there for the future what's what's next and what does it look like for for oliver worth going forwards good question mate um again i've changed i've changed my i guess it would be my mindset uh this year um, this was off the back of, uh, of, of, you know, my favorite book, Ego is the Enemy, uh, Ryan Holiday, um, which for anyone that hasn't read it, I would, I would definitely recommend it. Um, and he talks about, is it the three pillars of, uh, the three pillars of life? You've got the aspiration, you've got the success, you've got the failure. Um, for me, the future now is, is concentrating, and this is going to sound very cliche, Tom, but concentrating on the present moment. Um, you know, the past is fantastic for experiences. The future is incredible, but really it's your imagination. So concentrating on the present. Uh, and, you know, I could sit here and say, I want to be the next CEO of Company X and I want a million pound in the bank and I want a yacht and I want a Ferrari and I want this and I want that. It's... My, my path now to success or my path to the future is, you know, based on what will be, will be. I, I grind every single day. You know, I have my non-negotiables, whether it be in the gym at six o'clock, whether it be capturing my macros in my diet, you know, whether it be spending one hour on a podcast or one hour reading a book, two hours with a kid, whatever it is. And the future for me is basically smashing Smashing the targets, not goals. I don't like that word, goals. Um, but smashing the targets every day and, you know, what will be, will be. I've, I've realised in my very short nine, ten-year career that, you know, things always work out and, uh, and things happen for a reason. So instead of living in a world where I'm thinking, right, what's next? Next month I'm going to do this. What am I going to do at Christmas? What am I going to do in two years? I'm going to have this. I'm going to have that. I'm trying to get out of that mindset and just, you know, being present, living in that middle pillar um, and, and just concentrating on, you know, what I set out to do the night before for the next day. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I can't sit here, mate, and say I've got a, you know, I've got a five-year plan. Uh, and, you know, some people will disagree with that. 
I used to do that. Um, but right now I don't do that. I mean, I've got, you know, I say I don't use the word goals, but I've got plans. I've got challenges. I've got a lot going off in the business right now. Yeah. The world is uh, the world is a crazy place, especially in my game. Things are changing by the day. Um, so, yeah, it's just learning to adapt, learning to pivot. Uh, obviously, bringing the boy up the best I can, uh, making the most time I can for the missus, you know, my my rock, my solid foundation that lets me uh, lets me fly in in my aspirations and uh, just uh, just enjoying the moment, mate. Because you know, as you know, you lost uh, you lost your old man last year, and you know things can things can change at the click of a finger, and it just flies by us. Um, so yeah, I, I'm not going to give you a future plan, mate, because I I don't know how it looks, but you know I can. Yeah, no, that's good. I can assert that I'll be smashing, smashing my daily events. I can assert that. Yeah, I think there's uh, an abundance of, of sort of wisdom that, that there's been in that transition. And now we can't obviously fit the whole story into, into this sort of one hour, if you like. But I think with that concluding point, mate, the, uh, the, the idea of being so driven fast, goal, goal, or not goal necessarily, but push, 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 Versus now actually looking at it as pull back and pull back. The one thing that I'd rather than just hitting the handbrake, I think that you've mentioned a couple of things there, which is really interesting. Your non-negotiables, which is a big word, protecting your time. Because when it's planned, when it's planned downtime, you have more fulfillment. When it's unplanned and you're sort of just winging it, that's when the four hours of social media kicks in. Um, so I think we've mentioned obviously non-negotiables with that. You've mentioned routine with, you know, the gym mentioned with your food i think ticking the boxes with those sorts of things which again in reality are the things that you can control in that circle of influence i.e your things that you can control being present with family being present with a little one uh, and sort of having to to learn with that and shape that as you go forward so for me from sort of my perspective as sort of a coach and educator mentor watching your transition from where you are now obviously i've, I've got the luxury of knowing you but it'll be interesting to see how that sort of pushes on going going forwards mate so as i say one thank you for being extremely vulnerable and open today ollie i know that it's not an easy thing to do especially over something live like a podcast and, and talking effectively to someone who, who in the world either one person or more than that you know it, it's quite difficult to to say it as it is how it truly is going on on the inside and i think it's quite powerful to do that because I know that many do struggle actually owning those things that you go through and actually saying, you know what, I haven't had all the answers. You know what, I've done this wrong. You know what, I've done this wrong. And, you know, I think as much as celebrating the wind is amazing, you take more from the failures, you take more from the lessons, which allows you then to, again, using two words there, adapt and pivot. I think that that's sort of the biggest takeaway from my end, mate. So I just want to... Uh, well, I've... Yeah, go on. I, 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 I now feel like, you know, what, what I like about this and the reason I agreed to do it, you know, it's not, it's not scripted. You know, I could sit here and, uh, and give you quotes and, you know, people don't relate to that. Um, you would say to, ex, not expose, but, you know, for someone like myself, you know me very well, Tom, I'm, I'm very hard-headed. You're not going to get much out of me, but your ability to do that, to, to present them vulnerabilities, I mean, I feel like the weight of the world is lifted off my shoulder. I mean, I haven't got a clue what I've just said to you over the last 55 minutes or an hour, but I feel like the weight of the world's off my shoulders. You know, it's, um, it's definitely, uh, definitely something I would recommend, um, you know, just to, just to get the mind back on track at times in this... Uh, in this fast life or fast-paced lane that we're all trying to navigate. 100%, buddy. I, uh, I appreciate that. And it's, it's the power of that vulnerability, mate. And the more that you've obviously lent into that process and the more that you've actually gave yourself that touch point of being okay, you know, I think that's, that's a big thing, especially as what I tend to find, and I won't go down the avenue too, too aggressively with this, but there is definitely a, macho facade testosterone sort of thing yeah. typical men of, of high performing men um who, who can fall into that trap um because it's ultimately the scarcity of sort of owning you and being real you which is what you've just done for the past hour so um yeah. 
So yeah, let's uh, let's sort of call it there, mate. I know your time now. You, you're touching into the nine ten pm sort of realm. So no doubt you've you've got some calls to do or some emails to finish. So uh, <laughs> I know I've, I've managed be, to. Grab uh, it'll be a couple of emails, mate. It'll be a yeah. quick look at the stock market, and then it'll be uh, it'll be bed for the five am alarm clock. Superstar. There we go. Back in routine. Well. Oliver Worth, thank you for coming on today, my man. I do really appreciate, again, your time, number one, being extremely vulnerable with your story, number two, and letting us in your shoes for the past hour on, on what it's like to be performing at the level that you are um, as, a, as an aspiring entrepreneurial career-driven man. So thank you very much, mate. Top, man. Appreciate your time, mate. Speak to you soon.